people that make the effort to help our evolution as a society, as human beings is inspiring to me. Not that, you know, that's when I see um, they don't have to look like me or think like me, but when I see other people out there really working their hardest to make a difference, to, to, to change something for the betterment of us, that's, it inspires me. That's what inspires me to be a better person. Hello, everybody. This is Paul Critchley, president of New England Lead Consulting. Welcome to another episode of the New England Lead podcast. Our guest this week is Kristen Carlson. Uh, Kristen's the president of Peerless Precision, which is in Westfield, Massachusetts. They are a small precision machine shop. Uh, they specialize in the manufacture of small, very complex mechanical, mechanical components, uh, mainly for aerospace and defense. Um, she's also uh, currently the president of the Western Mass chapter of NTMA, which stands for the National Tooling and Machining Association, which is a mouthful. Uh, and actually, that's where I met her for the first time several years ago. Um, she's also a member of NTMA's AMPT uh, group, which is, uh, stands for the Advanced Manufacturing Practices and Educational Development Board. <sighs> that's also a mouthful. And she also sits on the, uh, the advisory uh, committee for the Westfield Technical Academy's Manufacturing Program, uh, West Springfield High School's Pathways to Prosperity Program, and Agawam High School's Manufacturing Program. So, um, obviously, and you'll hear it in the episode, uh, Kristen's uh, in a good way all over the place. You know, not only is she leading Peerless Precision, but she's really working very hard to change uh, the narrative that surrounds manufacturing as a whole. And we talk about that in the episode a little bit. Um, a little bit of backstory. Kristen, has, um, she's been with Peerless since 97, uh, and she did a whole bunch of things. She had a variety of positions. Uh, she actually took over as president when her dad, who owned uh, Peerless, passed away in 2012. Um, and I didn't know those guys back then, but Kristen stepped up. And, and took over that role in an in industry and a region that doesn't have a lot of women, quite frankly, that do what she does. Um, and she talks a little bit about that in, in this podcast as well. Um, but as I mentioned, she's really passionate. You'll hear it in as we talk in this episode. She has an energy that just kind of draws you in. That's when I first met her years ago. I just remember hearing her you know, speak with members of the NTMA group. And I'm, I just thought to myself, wow, you know, this is really somebody that believes in, in everything that she's doing and everything that she's saying. And having uh, been around her at various uh, NTMA group meetings and, you know, just seeing her at regional events, uh, I can back it up to say that uh, she's, a, she's a ton of fun. Um, but she's one of those folks who, yeah, she has a blast, but when it's time to get down to business, we get down to business. And she's very uh, deliberate and very passionate about what she's doing. And as I mentioned, um, she's really working hard to change the outdated narrative that encompasses manufacturing uh, by bringing more women into the manufacturing uh, education, uh, all the programs that she's involved in, identifying career paths and opportunities, um, and letting people know that you know, manufacturing is just not dark, dank, and dingy. 
you know, it's, um, that's kind of an old misnomer. We talk, you know, also about that in the podcast. And as a father of, uh, two, you know, teenage girls, um, you know, I'm very appreciative. There, there are folks like Kristen out there who are working so hard to overcome some of these, uh, stereotypes. Um, and I'm very appreciative of it. And I, I, we try to, as a, as an organization, New England Lean and my, me personally, try to uh, support them in any way that we can. So uh, it was a lot of fun. This episode, uh, we cover a lot of ground. You know, specifically, we talk about a lot of those types of things. You know, how do we get people and students more interested in manufacturing and trying to overcome some of the stereotypes that people think about what manufacturing is. Um, we talk a lot about the skills gap. We talk about supply chain, which I thought was very interesting. You know, Peerless Precision, it's it's a small manufacturer. Um, and But through her work, at, especially with NTMA, uh, she's really working hard to bring a lot of these small manufacturers together. And having been involved in some of those meetings, I can tell you that that's exactly what it's all about. You know, in Lee, we talk a lot supply chain and the importance of the, them to the value stream, you know, and we you know we draw we'll draw a value stream map and it's always just a block and it says supplier and it's got that squiggly arrow and you know product comes over twice a week or whatever and and you know information comes over however we want it you know this is what we talk about what does that squiggly line mean what is in there what does that do for all of us um, and like I said having been in some of those meetings that's exactly what they're going after is how do we all work together whether we machine parts or we're a plater or a welder or coding or whatever it is, how can we all work together so we all can get some business and we all ultimately deliver value to the end customer, which in our region, as I mentioned in the podcast between uh, Hartford and you know the greater Springfield area, it's known as Aerospace Alley, uh, just because this is kind of where Pratt & Whitney, Hamilton, Sunstrand all kind of grew up. Um, and there's a lot of uh, small manufacturers that support them along this corridor. So there's a lot of places around here that are in the same boat. And I'm sure wherever you are, wherever you're listening, um, you can relate. So there's a, a lot of, you know, we talk some specifics, but a lot of general, you know, generalities that I think anybody can really get a lot from. So like I said, this is a, it was a blast of an episode. I probably laughed the most uh, in this one than any of the ones that we've done to date. So uh, I hope you like it. Uh, and have a great week, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Welcome to the New England Lean Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Critchley. And today, Kristen Carlson is joining us. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Paul. Thanks for having me. This is I'm so glad we finally got to do this. We've been trading emails for months, <laughs> trying to trying to set this all up. And, you know, between COVID and right? Trying to run a manufacturing plant and me going different places and the kids' school schedules and everything else. It's just been difficult. So we finally, finally get to do this. Yes. I'm very excited about it. Trying Sometimes trying to align our calendars is the biggest challenge. Mm, yeah. Truth. Truth. <laughs> so for those who don't know who you are, and I can't believe anybody in the greater Springfield area hasn't heard or seen of you, but um, can you hum a few bars about kind of who you are, what you do? 
Sure. Uh, well, my name is Kristen Carlson. I am the president of Peerless Precision Incorporated in Westfield. We are a small family-owned precision manufacturing company specializing uh, in making small, complex mechanical components for aerospace, defense, medical device, and some commercial industries. Uh, another hat I wear is the current uh, chapter president of the Western Massachusetts chapter of the National Tooling and Machining Association, um, which we work to bring manufacturers together, um, also supporting industries, lean consulting like Paul, um, you know, plating, heat treaters, et cetera, even bankers and uh, insurance companies to um, advocate for better policies for our industry within the state. Um, we strive towards workforce development, closing the skills gap and working together as a community, not as competitors. Nice. So you've obviously practiced that several times, not just for best. this, right? Because you probably have to give that spiel 10 times a year. Yeah, that's why I've got it down flat. <laughs> right? So yeah, I, so I mean, that's kind of how I know you because full disclosure, we're of associate partner or whatever, right? As part of the Western Mass NTMA chapter. Um, and you throw the best parties. Hey, right? thanks. <laughs> right? Because, well, I've been in several. Um, I was on the board of the Northeast region of AME, whom I love. I'm a big supporter of. Um, your parties are just better. Your group, oh, I shouldn't call them parties. Your uh, group monthly meetings are, are much, much better because we're talking, right? Pig roast and axe throwing and which I think isn't, you know, and I, I say it half kiddingly, but, you know, having been in several of those groups, even back when I was in industry, you go to some of these meetings and it's the biggest yawn fest because it's like, here are the minutes from last year, you know, last month and, you know, they run it almost like a, a town committee and it's like boring and you don't get anything out of it. Whereas, you know, with you guys, it's like, yeah, we'll all get together and we'll all have fun. But oh, by the way, we're going to meet at a location. We're going to tour that plant. We're going to take a look at things because as you said, with, this is aerospace alley, right? Between Hartford and Springfield. So there's a lot of places who are doing the same kind of stuff that you guys are doing. So why not work together instead of fighting each other all the time. And, you know, it's all the more better, right? Because we all get more business and a rising tide raises all boats, right? It's kind of the you, you hit it. You hit it right on the, the head, Paul, with that one. And it, it's okay if you call them parties, because you know what? Um, there are so many events, uh, whether it be networking events, meetings with uh, different associations or chambers of commerce, <clears throat> development councils, or even just our day, our day to days and our businesses, where it is the same thing all the time, every time it can get to be a yawn fest boring. I mean, while I love the shop tours, how many times do you want to take a tour of the same shop? It's, you know, so, so when I, I'm all, you know, I'm one of the younger people in my industry who is as high up in the ranks as I am. And when I look at how do we, at everyone asking the question, how do we get younger people in? How do we get the next generation in? How do we just get our members to come out of thing, come out to participate? It's like, well, we got to have fun. Um, you know, we've been doing the pig roast for, we weren't able to do it this year for, you know, COVID reasons. Um, but this would have been our, our 14th year doing it. Um, and it was started by my late father in 2006 when we bought we bought the building that we're in now to have a fun summer networking event for everybody. 
Um, you know, it's just like with the, the golf tournament that we hold um, norm, in normal years every July that benefits uh, manufacturing programs and vocational schools. Yes, everyone loves going out for a day of golf, but how can we make it more fun and to get people more engaged? So I make jello shots and I bring them to the, the hole that I sit on and sell them to raise more money. Last, you know, last year when we did it, we had a, um, a, wheel, a wheel of misfortune that people could pay a few dollars towards and it's for a donation and spin a wheel. And it was, hey, you've got to hit your golf ball blindfolded now or you got to spin around on this bat. And it's just how do we lighten this up? Um, I got that one, by the way, <laughs> which one, the blindfold or the spin on the bat, the spin on the bat. I also had to <laughs> chug a beer. So <laughs> those two things combined, the let you know the the last few holes after that were kind of a train wreck. <laughs> you know, it's uh we need we need. I'm so I I can't wait to be able to do that next year because it was just, I'll probably have the wheel with my Jello shots next year when we do it. Um, <laughs> but it's just we need to break it up. We need to be able to have fun. Like that's we all take ourselves too seriously. I I make it a point not to, um, and. You know, if we can't go out and enjoy ourselves, you know, whether it be networking or going out on the town with your friends, you know, what's, what's the point? <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's kind of why, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on, because one, you're like boatloads of fun anyway, which I knew. <laughs> um, but so, cause I think, I feel like, you know, you and I've chatted before about lean, you know, in, in industry um, and doing stuff, but we have a lot of the same, I see a lot of parallels between kind of what you do and kind of what I do just from a business perspective. And you kind of touched on it a little bit already. Um, you know, Peerless, I got to believe you guys are high mix, what we call high mix, low volume. So you make a lot of, you know, one of this, two of these, five of those, every once in a while, you probably make a hundred or something may or may not ever come back again. Right. Um, Correct. And then, so I deal with that on, on our side sometimes. And this is kind of where I'm headed is people's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? People's misunderstanding about what manufacturing is. Cause I think people misunderstand what lean is. People think lean, they automatically think Toyota. They think, you know, time to make the donuts. You're just banging out parts and it's the same part a thousand times an hour. Right. And that's totally not what it is. And then what you just mentioned, which is a big part of what I wanted to chat with you about is how, how we're changing the perception of what manufacturing is. Um, and then how do we keep that going so we can fill this skills gap, right? Because I have some opinions on why we are where we are with all that kind of stuff. But so I know what I encounter when I talk with people, because people ask me, what do you do? And I'll tell them. And a lot of times it goes over their head. So I kind of just say, have you ever street seen, you know, Restaurant Impossible or, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I love that show. I'm like, I kind of do that with less yelling, but for manufacturers. So when you go, because you're very involved in the regional community to help, right, change that perception. So when you go and you talk to high school kids, you know, do you see that that's been changing? What do you, you know, what do you see that people think, well, manufacturing is dirty, dark, oily, and right, you know, it's all old guys that are running some old you know, lathe and it's just dirty and disgusting. Do you see that changing or, you know, is the tide turning in our favor? I do. I do see it changing um, slowly and it's going to, it's going to, it's a long, it's a long journey to have to go. We, we've been facing um, 
a false narrative on what manufacturing is today um, for a, a very, very long time. We've been dealing with a skills gap and a workforce issue for decades. And, um, you know, the manufacturing in general went through a period in the early 2000s of offshoring, uh, which means, you know, a lot of the parts that we had been making here went overseas to India and China um, and other countries as well, uh, because they could offer a better price. Um, you know, we, we can't compete with the, you know, pricing overseas here, but we can compete with quality and lead times. And that's why ultimately most everything that got offshored came back and got reshored to us. Um, I would, I will admit that Peerless was not um, exempt from that reshoring initiative that happened in the early 2000s, but every single part that left came back. Hmm. So, uh, you know, over the past 10 to 15 years, um, uh, both locally, regionally, and nationally, there is this, the baby steps towards working towards changing that outdated narrative. Um, when I came back to um, the family business in 2012, I saw that issue. Um, it was it, glaring, glaring me in the face. Um, and I'm not trying to uh, put anyone down or anything, but there was a lot of complaining going on within our industry about the la the skills gap and the lack of kids getting interested. And not a lot of people wanted to raise their fingers to do anything about it. And, you know, I'm all about, I learned early on that um, using ch the word change around um, machinists, around people who have been run manufacturing, running manufacturing companies for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Change is a dirty word. You cannot use change. It scares people away. So as an industry and, 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 and a perspective our, uh, on our industry, we needed to find a way to evolve that. Um, and that's that, you know, when you open, when you open your doors to students, when you go to the schools and you mentor and you can change that perspective. Um, it's again, it's, it's one graduating class at a time or one middle school class at a time. Uh, normally when they're in high school, they've already, you know, I want to go to college or maybe I do want to go into a skilled trade. They've already chosen to go to a technical school or not. Um, it's about changing that, changing that view, the middle school and the elementary school pair, uh, level. And then hope, hopefully that, that um, view change goes home to their parents as well because that's, that's where a lot of the bad impression of our industry comes from um, because they would have had parents or grandparents or relatives working in that dark, dirty, dingy grandfather's machine shop. Um, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I would invite anyone to lick my floor in here <laughs> because we are a machine shop, but if you walk into any company now, you know, nowadays, um, whether or not they're a 300 person facility or a 20 person facility, facility. We have a lot of standards and regulations that we have to adhere to. Um, you know, it's you, you can walk through my shop without a mask, you know, when there's not a pandemic going on and be able to breathe without having to worry about what you're breathing in. Um, you know, it's, it's, we all take steps to do our best to protect, do whatever we can to impress and excuse me, protect the um, health and safety of our workforce and also do what we can to not be um, destroying the environment as well. Mm -hmm. And that's that, I mean, you know, here in New England and I'm a, a, you know, I work it into every podcast. So buckle up, I'm a Mainer, right? So I mentioned it all the time, but I can remember like one of the stories I tell is, uh, you know, we always changed our own oil and we had this 55 gallon drum. And this is way back in the seventies, by the way. Um, so when the 
the barrel got full, dad would put it in the bucket of the tractor and drive it out in the field and light it on fire and just let it burn. And then it just burned off and then it's empty. And the, you know, it's like, obviously we don't do anything like that even close anymore. Yeah. Um, but to your point, it's, I think a lot of that had, you know, that, that misnomer, that visual image in our minds, like we think manufacturing, you know, because again, I even see it on TV, which drives me nuts sometimes, you know, we'll see these TV commercials and it, it sometimes looks like that. And it's like, why are you perpetuating this stereotype? Because like you said, most, if not all of the places that I end up going, none of them look like that anymore. We're talking, you know, epoxy floors, LED lighting. Sometimes you'll even paint the deck, the under, you know, the underside of your roof ceiling white. It's like, this looks, I, I, I don't know if I'll say it looks more like a hospital room than it does a machine shop. Oh, but it's some a of lot them do, closer. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot closer than it ever was. Yeah. I mean, one of my dreams when we, uh, we've been working towards an expansion um, of our, of our facility and it kind of got put on pause this year just because of all the unknowns. Um, but I've, I've honestly been really, uh, you know, thinking I would love to have epoxy flooring cause then it's just going to look nicer. And, um, you know, on a side note, I would love to have my own little Zamboni that we could use to clean those epoxy floors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my last place that I worked full time, we had exactly that. Yeah. And it was saying, you know, same thing. We we're like, okay, you know, every other day, somebody on seconds driving the Zamboni around and it's for that exact reason, because I would, I would volunteer for that. (laughs) Oh, me too. That'd be like the, I always said my retirement plan is I want to be one of the guys on the tractor that mow the medians at the interstate. Yeah. (laughs) That looks like great. You know, close the cab up, turn the AC on, just listen to music and mow some grass. Yeah. (laughs) So, because, so in my you know, and it, what I do for work and even on this podcast, we've been talking a lot about, especially this season, about uh, culture and organizational culture. And, and to your point, um, I talk about change a lot, but one of the things I've learned is I can't walk into a shop like yours and because people, number one, people look at like, who the heck is this guy? And then if I go, hey, I've got this new whiz bang thing called lean and it's going to change everything about how you do it. It's going to be so great. You're going to love it. It's like, that's not happening, right? I've, if I ever said that, that way, I've lost everybody. And I might as well just leave because- They, they throw, drag you out and throw you out on your butt. <laughs> right? Pretty much. Yeah. So that's what I really like about, you, you know, like, especially with NTMA, because I think, I hope that our industry as a whole, whether you want to say regionally, nationally, Um, we're moving away from the, I give you a paycheck and you run this machine and you do whatever I tell you for eight to 10 hours a day. Like that's old thinking. And I feel like, and maybe it's just me because I'm, I'm, I'm driving what I do this way, but it feels like that's going away. And it's like, listen, that's not what this is. You know, there's quotes that I use, especially when I do training. Um, Henry Ford said, and I'll paraphrase, but he said, how come every time I hire a pair of hands, it comes with a brain attached, <laughs> right? Meaning, because he popularized the assembly line. That was his model. You can get any color Model T as long as it's black. It was standard. It's exactly what people think when they think manufacturing. And even if you want to call you know, mass lean, because it's not lean, but that's what people think. They think, oh, every nine seconds, you're making Model T. It's the same exact thing. It's over and over and over. And that's all it ever is. 
And you can compare that with the quote from Taichi Ono, who's one of the right one of the guys that helped build the Toyota production system. And again, I'll paraphrase because it's a little, a little bit longer. But basically, he said, you know, people don't come to Toyota to work; they come there to think. So I feel like in industry, we're we're kind of realizing that maybe we're coming back around to that because again, it's not punch the clock, run this machine. If you get a hundred parts today, I won't yell at you. If you get less than that, then, you know, you're going to be in my office and that's it. I, I really feel like it's got more to do with, listen, the business, you know, like you're here to help build this business. And one of your skill sets is you happen to know how to run this machine, but I need your help on how to run it better, more efficiently. Um, you know, do we even need this machine? Is there something better? Like, you know, and I really see even now it, with what I do and before when I was in industry, when we have those conversations, it like it's everything is so much better. Metrics all go in the direction that folks like you, owners, CEOs want them to go in. And everybody out on the floor is happier too, because they feel like they've got, they're engaged right? They're not just, you know, we're not trading money for time anymore. Right. It's, it's almost, um, in encouraging, uh, them to take ownership of the companies, you know, or of ownership of what they do. You know, now you're all, we're always going to have people, um, that just, you know, are there just to work and do their, their, you know, I won't say nine to five because those are not machinist hours, but we'll say, you know, five to two or six to two or, you know, six to four, whatever. They come in uh, way before I even wake up in the morning. And, you know, I definitely have a few in here um, that are extremely good at what they do, but they, they've made it very clear. And I respect this, that they're just here to work. That's the, you know, they don't want to do all the extra stuff and that's fine. But if there's um, an instance where, you know, we really need their input or, you know, their input on how to improve something could make a difference. They're more than willing to give it. Um, you know, on the other hand, and this is, you know, also a generational thing too. Um, the younger, the younger generations, I won't, I don't think I can use, well, some, some millennials, I'm like the oldest millennial on this planet. If you, depending on the generational expert you ask, I'm either, uh, um, I'm either generation X, I'm an Oregon trail generation or I'm a millennial. So it just depends. I don't, uh, I like the Oregon trail generation, uh, one the best, but, um, you know, what, what are the new ones? Like Zennial, Zennials, Gen Z, I don't even know what the new, but they want to be part of something. Even the younger millennials, they want to be part of something. They want to do something that's making them feel good. That's rewarding them more, not on a, not always on a financial level, but on an emotional level too. So when you put that faith into the people who are making your company run, I mean, I always tell everyone here, like, look, I'm not, you know, I've got, I do have a lot of responsibilities, but I'm not the one who holds this company together or keeps us, you know, it's, it's everyone on the floor. It's the management team. It's, it's the people inspecting the parts, even the, you know, making the parts, doing the shipping and receiving, placing the orders, you know, without them, we have nothing. And it's, you know, bottom ideas coming from the bottom up instead of trickling from the top down are more apt to have a lasting effect and actually get implemented because the people that are thinking up these ideas who are watching them happen buy into it more and then they want to see it succeed and so it's again part of the whole not change but the whole evolution of our companies of our workforce of our industry it can't be you know it's it 
as an employer, as an, an owner, a CEO, um, you know, sometimes I coach and mentor more than I, you know, I, I try not to tell people what to do unless they really just do not want to listen. And I can't get it through their heads that, you know, the, the evolution that needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I want to, I, I, when they work it out for themselves or come up with those ideas, even if I have to kind of like, you know, push them in the right direction, that's, that's going to be where we're more successful when we, when we've been making a part and we are very much high mix, low volume, um, our low volume does go into the low thousands, but there are long-term agreements and blanket orders. So we're not making a thousand, you know, 5,000 pieces at once they're trickled through the shop. Um, even those low volume parts, mostly there's a lot of repeated ones. We don't do a lot of one and done because we um, do so well, usually in the prototyping phases with our customers and have our communication open. And, you know, it's a back and forth. It's not just one way it's back and forth. We want to help them as much as they want to help us that we usually more often than not, I'd say 90% of the time we do take prototyping into low volume production. Um, when those, when the, when the folks on the floor are part of that prototyping phase, and then, you know, sometimes the, the inventors or the engineers, you know, well, how come, how come this, this is so expensive? And it's, we look at the tolerances, we work to extremely close tolerances, you know, into millions of an inch. And the saying is every time you add a zero after the decimal place, you can pretty much add a zero to the end of the price, because the closer it has to be, the more work that's involved. But the more we do it and the more the same people do an operation or, or whatever on a part, they'll learn how to do it better the next time. Um, and it also gives you know us the ability to make suggestions to our customers who are looking to find ways to reduce cost on how they might be able to improve the design for better manufacturability. Is that 50 millionths of an inch tolerance really necessary? You know, is it going to affect the form fitter function or is it there just to be there? Could you open it up any, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, that doesn't come from me. That comes from everyone else in this company. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And, and it's nice when you have that kind of relationship, not only with your, you know, employees and direct reports and your team, but also with your vendors and your customers, you know, and folks like me, we talk value stream. That's exactly what we're talking about. And, you know, I got my start in automotive um, and we used to have to do that all the time. Like every year is mandatory cost downs. So we would sign these three-year agreements and we'd have to have a three to 5% reduction in price every single year. And we, so we had to come up with those ideas. And then it got to the point where the, you know, the auto manufacturers had their hands in our pockets, kind of, you know, oh, great. If you came up with even more ideas, then we'll take those, you know, too. And it's like, well, we're kind of doing this for us because, you know, I mean, granted, we're all in business to make some money. It's, you know, we're not trying to gouge you, but I mean, come on, guy, there's only so much we can, you know, and we used to, I used to make bearings. So we would make millions and millions of bearings a week and we'd sell them for, you know, like 38 point one seven five cents a piece it would like carry out you know but times you know a couple trillion then it adds up to actual dollars Mm -hmm. so you know i do appreciate the fact because not everybody does that a lot of times right it's hey here's a quote just quote me and then it's you know whoever i'll send out to five places maybe i'll get three back lowest bidder wins and we just move on with life Mm -hmm. and i've been involved in enough of those on, on either side that it's bitten us, that it's like, this is just, it's just not the right way to go about it. Yeah. You know, before, um, so I've, I've grown up working in the shop and I started 
I started here in 97 when I was 15 sweeping floors. Um, I went to college and then when I came back from college, I started working here again um, as shipping and receiving and purchasing. And then I moved my bum out to Cal to San Diego to get out on my own and explore things on my own outside of the family business for as long as I could. And I did well out there. I ended up working. I became a buyer for a fire alarm contractor. I know more about fire alarm systems than I ever thought would, I would in my life. And I literally cannot go anywhere without judging um, how, how much they cheaped out on the fire alarm system that that place is installed because I know those, you know, the, mm. you know, fire alarm X um, is the bottom of the wrong. This is too expensive. But one of the biggest things I learned from working there because um, my boss, um, Ernie over there, who was very much, if someone were to ask me who my mentor was, it would be him because he took me under his wing and saw something in me that no one had ever seen and gave me a real chance to grow beyond what I was. Um, you know, he, I started doing estimating for him, learned how to, um, I went on job walks. I learned how to read the blueprints and, you know, figure out what needed to go where and everything. Um, and then when we were working on quoting, it was, you know, when you're in competitive, in the, in the competitive bed world, you don't ever want to be the most expensive because they've got too much built into it. There's too much padding. Um, you don't want to be the cheapest because they left a lot out and they're probably going to have to go back for change orders later on. And the customer doesn't want to hear that. You want to find a way to be that magic number in the middle that doesn't have it too padding, hmm. cross padded, crossing your fingers that you didn't leave out half the job, you know, and, but that it's that you want to be that the Oreo filling, not the sandwich cookies, right, you know? Right. Yeah. And isn't that funny? Like, cause I've had this very similar experience. And it's, um, it's like, how antiquated is that to think like you have a magic crystal ball that ah, I'm going to think it's right in here. I can remember in the automotive days, I forget what it was called, but it was essentially an auction site. So you would, we would upload our blueprint and we just say, here, we want somebody to make this part and here's everything you need to know about it. And literally I can remember standing behind the guy who was running it and it was just People were bidding and it was open. So you could see, you know, one person bid 57 and a half, somebody would bid 57 or, you know, and it was just like, and as the, it was just like eBay, as the bids start to come to a close, you just, you know, it's like these rapid fire things. And before you know it, I want to say, and I'll, this is 25 years ago. So forgive me, I'll have, to, but I think it was, you know, it went from an opening bid of like 60 cents down to like 18 yeah. And I remember it closed and I'm like, wow, you know, I'm young engineer. I'm like, this is fantastic. This is the best thing ever. And he just looked at me. He's like, this is stupid. He's <laughs> like, this is, he goes, I know these guys can't make this part. He goes, I've never even, he goes, you can't make it for that. Cause the material is more than that. He goes, I have no idea who these people are. You know, who even knows, you know, I have no information, quality costs on time delivery, are they even reputable? You know, maybe it's an up and coming shop and the, you know, it's somebody with a lathe and a mill in his garage and he's really working hard. Maybe it's all made up. Who knows? And I'm, I'm just like, hmm. I remember it. Cause he, he was a smart guy. He was similar to Ernie. He was kind of my mentor, um, in South Carolina. Yeah. And, and he's like, yeah, he goes, Paul, you gotta think about, you know, it looks, looks great, but you gotta think about all this other stuff. He goes, you know, if 80% of this comes in and it's garbage, or what are we saving? You know, because right. then I got to get quality and we got our disposition and send it back and scrap it out. And 
And I'm like, hmm. So that was really a big part of my education. It's just, it's just, it's just uh, furthering, further proof that uh, the cheapest is not always the answer. Yeah, which is, yeah. you know, and we know that, but it is hard sometimes, you know, when, when uh, some people who, you know, uh, say purchasing agents, and I'm not saying everybody does because my wife is one and she doesn't do this, but, you know, you just look on the, on the line. Well, I say, hey, boss, look at me. Um, I saved us, you know, $10,000 this year because I found a low cost supplier and yay me, pat on the back, right? Yeah. Well, but again, I'll get back to the value stream thing, but we have to tie in all the stuff downstream. And I see this happen so often where, you know, I was just at a place a couple of weeks ago. They have like three years worth of raw material for this one thing. And they're, I'm like, why do you have this much? Well, it was on sale. And it was one of those, the more you buy, the more you save. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay. But look at all of the floor space you're taking up for the literally, and I'm not even exaggerating, three years from now, all like this floor is still going to be occupied by all this stuff. You really think you're saving? How much did you really save? Uh, so I can, I can totally, I can, I, I, re, I understand where they're coming from completely. Cause we, you know, while we, uh, being a manufacturer who's heavily in the aerospace industry, we never buy material just to have it because if we do that, as soon as we can use it, the A, the AMS revision would have uh, changed and then it's, uh, no good. And, you know, good, I mean, good news about that is that we end up donating anything that's out of spec to the vocational school. So they get the material, but do I really want to have that much extra material, you know, on the floor, it's something like that would have been helpful in the past two years with the tariffs and mm-hmm. the supply and demand issue that we were all dealing with because of said tariffs. But, um, I would recommend to that client of yours, um, or if they are a potential client or what, whatnot, um, look into getting a shipping container. <laughs> we have a shipping container out back because we bought, we went through a big growth mode, uh, in 2017 to last year, added four or five new machines and pretty much had to buy a shipping container just to house our raw stock mm-hmm. so that we could have more room for machines while we're working towards our expansion. So think right. outside of the box and get an out, a box to put outside for it. Yeah. They, <laughs> and they are a client. And that is one, I'll tell you, that is one yeah. of the things. That yeah. I mean, that, I think we, we got it for around, uh, I don't think we paid more than $2,500 for it. It was brand new. So mm-hmm. uh, worth the investment. If they'd like a recommendation, let me know. Yeah. All right. I'll definitely hit you up. And so every lean person listening right now is cringing. They're like, "Eh," but but you have to, you have to be flexible. And, you know, so I agree on buying on not, you should not buy that much stock at a time, you Mm -hmm. know, just to save money because that's, you know, it's, I understand why they did it. Uh, material, material is a roller coaster ride when it comes to pricing. When there's tariffs or not, you know, mm-hmm. it just depends on what the market's looking like. But you know, depending on the industry, if I were if I were to look at, you know, let's say I've got one of my blanket orders, and uh, they used to be three year blanket orders. Now, you know, over the past four or five years, three year blanket or long term agreements have turned into six months to a year. So, you know, we're quoting smaller quantities, expecting to pay, they're expecting to save the same, pay the same price and then right. reducing delivery quantities as well. But 
you know, okay, so how much material are we going to need to buy to complete this whole order? Because we want to have it, we're not going to use it all, all the time, but we've got the PO and we want to make sure we have this, we have the same price, we get the same price for the material, not, well, let's get enough material, hoping that we get those blanket orders again next year and the year after. Right. You know, right. Yeah. And that's exactly, that's, you know, so, and I, that's where my, I have to, sometimes I have to take my, and I hate to put it this way, but I have to take my lean hat off and I have to put my ops manager hat on and say, okay, in a perfect world, this is how we would do it. But we live in an imperfect world. So to your point, you know, anytime I'm advising a client, it's like, okay, I have to tell you, this is how we should think about this thing, these things in the future. Like, let's plan, let's do this, let's do that. But we are where we are. So are we going to go get a storage unit? Are we going to scrap this stuff out and get it out of here? Or, you know, can we 5S and sort something else out that we really don't need? You know, there's all those kinds of questions. Yeah. So I try not to get too wrapped around the, well, this is what the textbook said, you know. Right. Angle. But we've had, we've had discussions about how much I dislike the textbook version of everything. So. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's, it, it ha you know, sometimes we have to make those kinds of decisions and you just have to, you know, you have to deal with it. I mean, there's other clients that we have that they have all this obsolete. It's like they've did, they did exactly what you said you try not to do. So they make, they need, you know, they sold two parts. They made three because, Hey, maybe we'll lose one through the process. They get to the end. We didn't lose one. So it goes up on the shelf. Sometimes the customer calls and says, we scrapped one out or we did something. Do you have enough, you know, can you make us another one? And it works out. Sometimes it's sitting on the shelf and, you know, the revision changes and now that's a, a really expensive doorstop. Yeah, no, and we, we've got a very uh, hefty finished good, goods inventory. That's pretty much that, you know, well, because of manufacturing, and I know a lot of people uh, probably won't like it when I say it, but it's the truth. Um, scrap happens. Mm. It just, it does. Um, no matter what you do, um, there's all, if there's a way, it's, what is it? Um, Murphy's Law. Yeah. Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. It's, and that applies to manufacturing. Not everybody's perfect. Things happen, uh, you know, on the machining side. Um, anytime the part leaves your facility for a special process, it's out of your hands. Who knows what's going on with that at that vendor or subcontractor. Um, I don't think we've, at, when we're making parts from scratch and not just doing, an, uh, you know, one or two operations for another machine shop, you know, we always run, uh, 5% more than what's on the order. And in a perfect world, we don't scrap anything. And then they go on the finished good shelf. And then, you know, maybe a year or two later, our customers like, Hey, do you happen to have any of those shelves? Why? Well, yes, we do. We've got them. We've got five. And, and even though <clears throat> I should be charging you the five piece price, I'm going to give them to you for, to you for the exact same price they caught you when you bought them two years, you know, mm -hmm. cost when you bought them two years ago. Sometimes we can't say no. And we, we definitely, especially being the aerospace industry, we literally cannot get rid of things. We have to maintain documentation, old parts that are leftovers for 20 to 40 years. Mm -hmm. um, if we have something on the shelf that um, the revision has changed, then we work with the quality department with our customer um, to see, okay, if we send this out for repassivate, you know, repassivate or re-MPI or immunize under the new specification, will that work? We'll have to tack on X amount of dollars per part for that added, you know, to have to redo that and everything. If they come back and tell us that um, the part is so far from the current revision that um, just, you know, they have to, they have to instruct us to destroy it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we can't just throw it away. We have to make it, you can't ever be able to use it and no one can figure out what it's for. Right. So, yep. 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 So, so Kristen, I always like to take a little pause uh, from the formality, not that this is a super formal podcast, but I like to play a little game. I like to call the wicked fun part. If you're awesome. I, like, I, I love having a wicked, a lot of fun. I don't know Good. if I said that right, but well, good time. yeah, you, you came close. It's, you came New, close. it's New England. So, you know, right. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> um, first question, what keeps you up at night? Oh, coffee. <laughs> I drink a lot of coffee during the day just to stay on top of my game. Um, I really, I really try my best to leave, um, leave work at work when I can and keep home things at home things. So, um, you know, we've been very lucky over the past few years um, where we've been, you know, cash flow has been really good. You know, our customers are good. We're growing our customer base. So I can't really say a lot has been keeping me up at night. There was, there have been times where it's, how are we going to make payroll? Mm-hmm. You know, how am I going to replace um, the guy that's been with us for 30 years who just told me that he was going to retire in two weeks? You know, it's, um, if something does keep at night, it's usually around um, financial issues at work um, or employee you know, workforce issues and everything like that. But again, I do my best to separate and leave work at work as best I can. It's very hard when you own and run a company. Um, but for my own sanity. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard. I struggle with it. Even I, when I, you know, now that I do, I own my own company, but even when I was working for a place, it was, you know, I'd be driving home. I always, I always tell the story, you know, Bluetooth is my uh, favorite invention because I'd be driving home screaming at my windshield over something that, you know, I got yelled at by some director or VP or something. And, you know, people driving next to me on 84 and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And I just, I'm like, I'm on the phone, you know? Oh, okay. So they just assume I'm talking, you know? Yeah. My hands are waving and like the whole thing. Yeah. And now you can be driving and ta- and screaming and everyone just assumes you're on Bluetooth. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, but see, for me, Bluetooth is the, um, I, it's a double-edged sword for me because I, you know, living in California as long as I did, um, it was one of the first states to um, enact hands-free cell phone use. Mm-hmm. So before I even moved back to Massachusetts and they started doing that here, I was always used to not touching my phone. So I'd always have my phone in my purse on silent. So I had a great excuse for not answering the phone when I was in the car. Mm-hmm. Now I don't because it's it's hooked up to my new car, which has Bluetooth and I can't ignore that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there I do have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with it for that reason. How about uh what inspires you? Oh that's a that's a difficult one. Um lately it's watching change start to happen. Um, you know, all around this country. Um, or at least hoping for for change to happen. Um it's you know, when uh, people that make the effort to help our evolution as a society, as human beings is inspiring to me. Not that, you know, that's when I see, um, they don't have to look like me or think like me, but when I see other people out there really working their hardest to make a difference, to, to, to change something for the betterment of us, that's, it inspires me. That's what inspires me to be a better person. Nice. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of lean thinking in there too, because as I've done this 
now. So I've always, you know, lean has always been a part of my job as an industrial engineer. Um, but now that I'm solely focused on that, uh, I'm right there with you. That's, that's the funnest part is, mm-hmm. you know, I always say there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's just, it's just life. And part yeah. of life we spend at work, but it's not different per se. And that's where I really like, you know, where we started this conversation when you're like, listen, if we can't have fun, what the hell's the point? Right. Right. And you know, I just, sorry, go ahead. No, that's all I want <laughs> I was to say. say. I used to think that there were two different Kristens. There was a work Kristen and then there was me um, who I could be outside of work. And then I had to separate the two um, in large part to um, the colleagues that I work with and everything. And I am, as my attorney told me a long time ago, um, is that I'm cut from a very different piece of cloth than a lot of people in my position. Um, and I used to think that I had to put on this front to be more like them. And now I just say, screw it. You know, I'm with me is I'm, I'm an open book. Um, you are always, what you see in me is exactly what you're always going to get. Um, I learned that I can be, I can merge, uh, work Kristen and Kristen, Kristen, the same person, because we are one and one doesn't have to hinder the other. Um, I can still, people will still take me seriously and watch me have a good freaking time, you know, at, at a party or going out for a drink or whatnot. I can, I, I can laugh at myself as much as I laugh at other people. And I'm an equal opportunity. I'm equal opportunity when I make fun of people. So everyone deserves it. I make fun of myself more than anyone else because yeah, if you can't laugh at yourself, then (laughs) I'm sorry. That's (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right. And I think there's an authenticity that comes along with that, that I think people respect, quite frankly, because we've all I know I've had the bosses where it's it's work, bo- you know, work guy. And then you see him out and they're completely different. I'm like, what? This doesn't even make sense. I'm confused. Yeah. Like, how do I are we are we friends now? Or, you know, and it's like, nope, Monday morning, it's back to, the you know, it's just weird. It's yeah, I've weird. never even I mean, even when I was like in junior high, high school, college, I've never appreciated fake, fake people, mm-hmm. um, even more so now as I'm an adult, because it's just exhausting. Yeah, same, same. Yeah. What, um, what do you appreciate most in your, say, work life balance? Oh, let's see. So my family business, so not, it's my mother, myself, my youngest brother, and my husband all work here. Hmm. Um, Luckily, my husband reports to the foreman and not directly to me. (laughs) That could be for an interesting (laughs) ride home. (laughs) We don't drive together either. He comes in about an hour earlier than I do, and I leave an hour later than he does. So there is that separation. Um, You know, I'm very lucky that he supports me in everything I do. Um, And then both of us kind of look at where we've been together since we were freshmen in college. And um, the fact that we look at who we were and where we were back then, we both laugh at, you know, who the hell did, you know, where the, where the heck did this girl come from? Like you weren't, you know, and I'm just, well, I've evolved like the rest of us. Um, You know, I'm very lucky that I've got a really solid team here um, that allows me to balance my work and my personal life. Um, You know, I've, I've, if I, I, I've been working at home on Fridays for the past three years and I've never second guessed it because I know things are going to get done. If I have to leave for a week for a trade show or a conference, um, I don't have to worry about it. If I want to take a week off, I can do that without checking my email because, 
there, and that was a big step. The, the day I turned off my notifications on my phone for Outlook um, was the most freeing thing I have ever done in my life. Um, my phone doesn't tell me when I need to check my mail. If I'm not in the office, I do it when I choose to. Mm. So, you know, normally, uh, you know, this normally, um, I'd be actually flying out to Kansas city probably today to go to the national, uh, the NTMA's, uh, annual fall conference. Normally it's held in October. Um, but they decide, you know, thankfully they decided to switch it to virtual. So it's going to be this week. And I figured, you know, it starts tomorrow through Friday. It's four days of, of, an awesome conference. Um, and I'm going to do it at home instead of doing it at the office, because I'll be able to focus on it more there. People will not be walking in constantly to ask me questions. Or I, I also call myself the head of the complaint department too, sometimes, because that's definitely part of my job description. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm available. If you guys need me, I will put up my out of office message saying, I'll be checking my emails as I'm able, but if you need immediate assistance, email these people. And I know that I wouldn't be able to do that without this awesome team who doesn't want me in here anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now they love me, but it's, you know, when the boss is away, sometimes they can get more work done. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Cause yeah. Yeah. You're not out there like, Hey, uh, quick question for, you know, Yeah, it shows, it shows my, you know, how comfortable I am with everyone here that I can do that too. And that I, um, you know, I know that, that the company is in good hands. And if, you know, if the building's on fire, yeah, they can call me, you know, they'll call me if there's a huge emergency, they will, but they're not going to bother me with trivial things that they can handle themselves. Right. Right. And you're right. I mean, that's a big part of what I do is trying to get people to understand that. And true story, actually, uh, a place I worked actually did catch on fire when the <laughs> boss was gone. So when I say that, I actually did, I had to call him. I'm like, he's like, I'm off for the afternoon. Like, what do you want? I'm like, I, well, I just wanted you to know the place is on fire. He's like, you know, I have, I have had the proverbial S hit the fan while I've been out on vacation before dealing with family issues or whatnot, when they probably should have bothered me while I was out of town, but didn't, but you know, I appreciated the fact as why they didn't call me about something, but please, you should call me next time because that was something I should have dealt with while I was, you know, right. Right. (laughs) So, Kristen, we have a few minutes left. I don't want to take up your whole day because um, I certainly appreciate the time you've spent with us already. But so as we wrap up, um, is there anything you wanted to talk about or any sage words of advice that you have for anybody who's thinking about a career in manufacturing or, you know, here in Western Massachusetts? Um yeah, sure. I can I can say a few things about all of that. It's, you know, for, for everyone listening today who can't actually see me, um, I am a I'm I'm 38 years old. I've been running this company since I right before I turned 30. Uh, one of the youngest uh, uh, manufact machine shop owners <laughs> who is also female uh, in this region, uh, probably in much of the United States. Um, I am currently the only woman chapter president for the National Tooling and Machining Association second term. Hmm. So, um, you know, there's, there's manufacturing is a great industry to be in. Um, and it is not defined by what everyone thinks it might look like. So the, the manufacturing is not 
it's a very high tech, it's a clean, I'm not going to say sparkling clean, but it's a cleanish environment. You know, it's, you can walk into a shop and be able to breathe and see and see through the air and not have to worry about walking, what you're walking into. Uh, the CNC machines, you need a high, you need to be highly technical, technical and be really good at programming and with computers to be able to do that. It is not um, something that those who aren't made out for college, um, it's not their only option. Um, getting into vocational schools, technical schools, manufacturing in general, um, it's very, oh my goodness, I'm blocking on the word right now. <laughs> it's very competitive. Um, you know, you can apply to go to a vocational school um, and get turned away. You can apply to go to a manufacturing program and get turned away if you don't, if you don't, you know, uh, hold up to their guidelines and everything like that. It is not a, um, it's not a minimum wage career. Um, even, even as a senior in high school, you're making more than minimum wage while you're learning. You, even entry-level people are not making a minimum wage. We've got, you know, at my company, we've got, um, salary ranges from entry level from about 35 to $40,000 a year when you have no experience. And we've got a lot of people on this floor who make over six figures. Hmm. Um, you know, it's not just for boys. Girls can do it too. Um, I might not be a machinist. I did try it when I was 16 and I personally failed miserable, miserably at it uh, because we're not all meant to be machinists, but we're also not all meant to be engineers or run a company. It takes a certain person to do that. If you like to work with your hands, if you like to make things, if you don't really want to know, if you don't really know what you want to be when you grow up, and go into, you know, a hundred plus thousand dollars in debt to attend a four-year school to get a degree you might not use, I would really encourage you to go look into the trades. Um, you know, even if it's not manufacturing, there's a lot of, a lot of need for skilled trades and those are not going away. Um, robots are not taking our jobs. If anything, the addition of robots and automation will create new jobs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just like potentially moving over from oil and gas to more clean energy. It's not going to take jobs. They're going to create new ones. Um, you know, manufacturing is not dying. We are alive and well. Western Massachusetts and Massachusetts in general is literally the hotbed of manufacturing in the United States. Um, and like Paul mentioned earlier, we have got, we are aerospace alley, you know, on, on 91 going <clears throat> Vermont, Western Massachusetts, and all the way down to Connecticut, while we might not assemble them here, you can literally get an entire airplane made here. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've got companies in Western Massachusetts that make parts for SpaceX. They, um, there's a company in Westfield who was actually contracted by the US bobsled team in the last Winter Olympics, and they made their bobsled. That was in the freaking Olympics. That's pretty cool. I didn't know um, that. That's yeah, cool. this I can't. I it's not my place to say. It's okay. That's all right. They said it at a school committee meeting. Um, and you know, if you were to look up at the sky at any helicopter or airplane that is flying away around right now, you will see. Um, you can't see it, but there are a minimum of a hundred thousand dollars worth of parts that came out of Westfield, hmm. my little my little town, Westfield. You know, that's that's pretty a hundred thousand dollars worth of parts. That is impressive. Um, to kind of toot my company's horn and how cool this is because I like to be able to share stories um, so people can relate to parts that we make into real life things. Um, so we're, we're big in aerospace and we're big in defense. One of the things that we've made for the defense industry in the past is 
um, a firing part of a firing mechanism for the smart missile systems for the US Navy on submarines. I have gotten to see them blown up in um, experiments and testing them out, which was cool and sad at the same time because I know how much work went into those parts, hmm. but they paid the bill. So it's okay that they blew them up. Um, when we make parts for airplanes and helicopters, they're usually in engines and fuel injection systems. We um, are bread and butter. Our real big niche is making um, matched valve and sleeve and piston sleeve sets for fuel injection systems. And a lot of times those things, those sets have to fit within 20 millionths of an inch. And if they are off um, by even a little bit, even if it's over or under in size, that um, fuel will either seize up or it will flow too freely. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather not be on that airplane. No. Um, finally, my our big claim to fame, and I hope people will still remember this, but I know it's uh, if kids are listening, they might be getting a little bit too young for it. But back in 2013, when we found the bot, when not we, but when the um, police found the Boston Marathon bomber hiding underneath the tarp in the boat in Watertown, Massachusetts. They found him using a thermal imaging camera and a gimbal that was mounted on the bottom of a police helicopter. Um, that happens to be my biggest customer who <laughs> makes those cameras. We are one of three critical component suppliers in New England to them. Those cameras are on every single police helicopter on all the naval ships. They go into sniper scopes for our boys, over, boys and girls overseas. Um, nowadays, they're being used to um, detect elevated body temperature, elevated body temperatures during the pandemic um, at ports of entry. Um, but that was parts from our shop were actually in that camera that helped to find the Boston Marathon bomber. So you know what we it's not it's not like we're all making little widgets that just go into cars or you know um, they're not going overseas to China. Um, they you know made in USA is real. Um, not everything can get made here, but what we do make here is pretty freaking cool. That is cool. Yeah. And we, and that's just it. Like to your point, you know, number one, I always chuckle a little bit when people think robot, you know, I, I read these articles from wall street journal and they're like, robots are going to, you know, take over. And it's like, I, we've been hearing this for 30 years and yes, cobots and all that. So yes, there's a place for those, but they're not, I have, I can make an argument that, that a human being is. Uh, a much, if you want to call it this, a much better lean, you know, much better lean abilities than any robot. You know, people love to say, well, robots, you know, uh, they never get sick. They never call out da, 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 da. And I'm like, yeah, but try making that robot do something a little tiny bit different. Yeah. Now where you and I can have a 30 second conversation and we can just try something different. And then tomorrow we can do that again five different times. You can't do that with robots. And I don't right, you're not relying on algorithms and programming and everything like that. And honestly, I don't know about you, but I've seen uh, Terminator enough times where <laughs> I personally don't want the robots thinking for themselves. Right. We don't need what is it, Skynet? We, we don't, don't need, need to become self-aware. Honestly, I will never, I will never get in one of those self-driving cars to save my life. I don't even have a Google Home or an Alexa. I'm like, exactly. I don't want her learning from me. Right. I've seen. I know Skynet. We're not. We're not going through that. Not this I, I just quick. Uh, since we're on the subject, I just had a rental car that had uh, lane assist. Yeah. Hated it. Oh, I hate lane assist because you know I can handle a, a a light or a chime or something, but this actually moved the steering wheel, and I'm like, I'm trying to change lanes on purpose because you can't see it, car. But you know, a quarter mile up is a state trooper with somebody pulled over on the side of the road. So mm -hmm. 
I have to move over because that's yep. the law. And because I don't have my blinker on and I didn't actually, you know, like do a lane change, it thinks I'm drifting. And I'm like, yeah, so my car does that. I turned it off. Well, yeah. sometimes I have it on. It depends what the weather's like, but it will seriously pick up the patches when they're trying to patch the asphalt. And then it thinks that I'm, I'm staying in my lane, but it thinks that I'm moving and it tries to jerk me back. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate um, the braking feature. So if I'm getting too close to someone, it'll do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which I get it. I mean, you know, yeah. under the umbrella but, you know, of safety. The, the, what is it? The smart, uh, I'm a big fan of cruise control. Cause oh, yeah, I, the... um, my nickname led for Kristen. I had, um, I got two speeding tickets in one weekend when I was 22, 23 years <laughs> old. Um, 90 miles an hour used to be my comfort zone in a 1984 Volvo. Um, and, uh, but now the cruise control, it tries to be too smart. So even if I set it at 72 miles an hour, if I'm not 20 car lengths behind the car in front of me, it'll start slowing down. And then Mm. every time someone else moves in front of me, it slows down even more. And so no more cruise control for Kristen. (laughs) It's an imperfect science, I suppose. It really is. It really is. All right, Kristen, I'll let you get back so you can run the business. Thanks, Paul. It's been a pleasure today. All right. Thanks again. All right. Have a good one. (laughs) Hi, everyone. It's Paul. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks for listening. I hope you found the podcast to be both entertaining and educational, as that's really what our goal is with it. If you did like it, please give us a review and a subscribe. The more folks who do this, the more the algorithms like us, so the more people will be able to find us. I also want to give special shout outs to Emma Critchley for her video and audio editing abilities, which quite frankly are way beyond mine, as well as Jeremy Grant and the team at the Timber Cross for their creative genius. I appreciate you all. I invite you to connect with us as well. We're all over social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, so we should be pretty easy to find. We share a lot of content that is much like what we talk about on the podcast, so it may be of interest to give us a follow. You can also find us online at newenglandlean.com. That's our website and it outlines all the services we provide, things we do, customer testimonials, case studies, white papers, as well as being our main conduit for story sharing about all things that are lean, quality, and culture change focused. So check us out there as well. Finally, if you have any thoughts about the podcast, things you'd like us to discuss, things you'd like us to change, or if you wanna be a guest or know somebody who would be, please email us at podcast at newenglandlean.com. We're always trying to improve and welcome any feedback. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, make it a wonderful week.